0: Hi, this is Laura Lee Griffin.
1: And this is Nikki May with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love.
0: We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small
1: actionable steps and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck. Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. Hey, Nikki,
0: I'm super excited about today's guest. If you've ever had an interest in hitting the road with your artwork and sketching the world. Did somebody say bus? (laughs) Nikki, this episode could be for you and your future bus adventures. But I was thinking more like hopping on an airplane and having a grand adventure with your art supplies in tow. And if that sounds fun for you, you're going to love this episode.
1: James Richards is one of the best urban sketchers On the planet. He has a background as an urban designer, artist, and professor, and has spent decades designing urban places and experiences to make cities more walkable, livable, and beautiful. The perfect career background for becoming an urban sketcher.
0: A big part of learning his craft has involved traveling the world and sketching the world's most interesting places 45 countries so far. And Jim, you've got me beat by five countries. You've got me beat by about
1: 39.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, James is a full-time travel artist and urban sketcher and spends most of his time sketching on location and teaching workshops around the world for veteran and aspiring sketchers, university design programs, art groups, and travel companies. He even has online classes on platforms like Craftsy and Skillshare. James, welcome to the Stardust Society.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really looking forward to the conversation.
1: We're super excited to have you here. So, we always like to start by asking people what their startest story is, how they got started in their creative journey. But for you, for listeners who aren't familiar with the term, can you explain what urban sketching actually is?
2: Sure. And and, and I'm glad you asked because uh Gosh, it's just exploded across the globe as this kind of phenomenon since it was first founded. It's coming up on 12 years now is is all that it is. And we've got something like 350 chapters now uh, around the world. But urban sketching really didn't come out of art or out of design. It came out of journalism. Uh, Mm -hmm. The founder, Gabby Campanario, was with the Seattle Times and had an illustrated column that was was doing very, very well, getting some attention online and whatnot. And uh, he actually founded the initial organization with 100 Correspondents, eventually the nonprofit and whatnot. But the spirit has always been drawing on location Mm -hmm. and drawing from direct observation um, you know, if, if you can finish it on site, that's wonderful. If you can, you know, get a drawing down and, and poof it up later, that's fine also. But the idea is to really record what's going on around you and maybe even capture some of the ambiance that's happening around you. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you post it online, tell a little bit of that story. And uh, one of the other things that, that really kind of defines urban sketching is drawing with a group. And sharing with Mm -hmm. the group and everybody learning from each other. And in that sense, it's far and away the most generous creative community I've ever been a part of.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I know there's a there is actually a chapter in Dallas that you used to be a part of. I founded Um, that chapter. You founded that chapter. And, And and also I have taken the urban sketching on the road when I've done vacations with friends. um, My, my friend Leon and I went to Paris and we ended up urban sketching all over Paris and it helps you stop and really see what you're looking at instead of just kind of running from location to location. Um, So I, I definitely see both the community aspect as well as the, you know, being present in, in Mm -hmm. what you're creating and that journalism aspect, like you were saying of, of kind of journaling your life and your travels.
2: That's absolutely true. And you uh, you you really hit on it. And Paris would be a wonderful place mm-hmm. to, uh, to do that. But, you know, you can do it in your own neighborhood as far as that goes. The whole idea is just telling the story and sharing it with other people.
1: Well, I really love this quote that you have on your website um, where you said, I never saw myself as Monet in the studio. I wanted to be Anthony Bourdain with a sketchbook. And I love the way that just totally captures the, the spirit of it.
2: Well, thanks. You know, um, I, I, I hit on that one day and it just, wow, that, that really does it. Um, one of the things about Urban Sketchers that's, I think, really unique from other arts groups is that Uh, you've got a range of disciplines in there. You know, you've got designers like me, architects and landscape architects. You've got uh, film animators, you've got fine artists and whatnot. And um, over time, you see people refine their skills in such a way that, that, that more move from sketching in the street to becoming studio painters and some of those Mm -hmm. types of things. And, all I want to do is get on that plane or get in the Mini Cooper and take off and find stories <laughs> and sit in a cafe or sit on the sidewalk. Uh, it's just pure joy. We did a workshop up uh, with the Madeline Island School of the Arts recently, and they're used to having a lot of uh, plein air painters, you know, fine artists, that type of and thing. And where is that? That is right on Lake Superior on, on Madeline Island. Uh, hence the name, but Bayfield is the closest town It's a historic port town. And after a few days, one of the staff people came up to me and she says, you know, you guys are the most laid back and fun and friendly group that we've had in 30 years out here. (laughs) Nice. She says, we, we get some pretty high maintenance groups out here. But when I went into town and I saw you people sitting on the sidewalk. And drawing our town and talking to people as you did. I said, these are good people. And I, of course, agree. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, of course. So I I haven't done anything, any official urban sketching. But I mean, I think back to my days in art school and I went to I went to art school in Italy. And, you know, this is this is uh, late 80s. And we did a whole lot of what would be described as urban sketching sitting around town on. On the sidewalks, on the steps, drawing everything. And um, I forgot how much I love doing that. And and now I really am anxious to kind of get back into it.
2: Well, where were you in, in Italy? I'm curious.
1: Uh, I was in Cortona in Tuscany. University of Georgia has a studies abroad program there.
2: All right. I didn't realize that you were University of Georgia, but I knew Georgia had that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And I posted some sketches from Cortona a few months ago. All these Georgia people came out of the woodwork. I sat right there. I love that place so much.
1: (laughs) You know what? I did see one sketch that looked like it was the the steps in the middle of town that Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go back to.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's amazing to me how that kind of a drawing can just bring emotions flooding back. Definitely from, from years ago and and on the other side of the world. And that's something that I am trying to do in, in terms of of refining my skills is to learn to use light in such a way that it it's so packed with emotion. And absolutely people tend to recognize a place as much from the light as they do from the lines you're drawing, mm-hmm. or the colors you use yeah. or, or those types of things. but. Um, yeah, the 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 type of drawing that you're describing for a design and art school it's just urban sketching, you know, before it was called right. that. We got a bumper <laughs> sticker name now. Uh that that's handy to use and uh people tend to gravitate to it, but my goodness, people have been doing the grand tour for centuries. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if they were especially architects or from privileged families in Europe, part of coming of age was doing that grand tour right. and seeing what was going on. And if you weren't from a privileged family, you just got your book and you were obsessed and you hit the road. So um, that's kind of how I came to it as well. So
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your start and your background and how you kind of discovered you know, you said it's been around for what fifteen years or so. How did you, how did you come into urban sketching?
1: Well, let's go back just a little bit further than that and talk about what you did before.
2: Okay, um, I guess I drew forever, but I was mm-hmm. never in a context where you had access to great teachers or or to even know what career possibilities were. Uh, myself, my parents, I, I grew up on and off in New Orleans. And I thought being an artist meant hanging out at Jackson Square and, you know, hanging your portraits on the fence and, and hawking them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, my parents weren't crazy about that type of idea, even if I thought it sounded like fun. Um, But, (laughs) I ended up going to school in journalism. It was a creative field and I was pretty good at writing and gravitated from that just because it, you know, th- there was creativity involved, but I couldn't draw. I couldn't do the things that, you know, being a, uh, an illustrative reporter had never entered my mind, but uh, took a walk through the design building and there's all these drawings on the wall, these beautiful, beautiful drawings of cities mm-hmm. and of neighborhoods and all these things. But they were drawn from imagination. You mm-hmm. know, here is a place that would be a, a fantastic place to live or to work or to, right. to recreate in. And boy, when I found out that, that it was as much about behavior as it was about drawing and design, I was all over that. And it was a fantastic career for, uh, you know, 40, 40 years or so. We learned drawing in school mm-hmm. and then we refined it in travel. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that, again, I was just fortunate to fall into was that the particular professors that I had in South Louisiana knew that they had to get us out of South Louisiana if we were (laughs) going to stand a chance.
0: Hey, hey, I was born in Homa.
2: Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. If if you're going to compete with designers in New York and San Francisco, uh, you need to go out and see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So we went and visited the great offices, the award-winning projects that year, and recorded a lot of that through sketching. Later, groups of us as alumni still traveled together to Europe, to Asia, to South America. And I drew like a fool doing all those things and uh, you know started amassing a collection of sketchbooks and it just became something that, that even in my profession, I was uh, kind of identified with. We used to do these things called design charrettes where you wanted to come in and redo a downtown or something or or a, a series of neighborhoods. But you didn't have a year to do it. You had a week. So you, oh, wow. you brought the mayor into town. And you brought the planners in, you brought in the lawyers and the developers and you got the transportation planners and all those guys in one room. And I was the guy that could sit and listen to all that input and start to synthesize it into pictures in my head and whip them out very, very quickly as people were talking and hold Mm -hmm. them up and say, do you mean like this? Mm -hmm. And that would change the whole texture of the conversation because all of a sudden people are are visually getting into it. And Mm -hmm. uh I also had to learn to draw really fast in that job. And all those things together, the, the traveling, the drawing on location, the learning to draw really fast. Uh, boy, when I started seeing drawings online, it's, it's almost like you recognize your own tribe, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: And, and I saw these people drawing on location with really confident, fast strokes and whatnot. And like a bunch of other people, I got in touch with Gabby. And said, I do this. What's going on? And, well, you should join us. You should come on. You know, this kind of thing. So um, that's how I actually found the organization. But was just stumbling upon it. But mm-hmm.
1: um, And when was this, approximately? That was,
2: when I stumbled on it was 2010. Okay. When I actually joined was 2011. It was, it was, that's when they were incorporated as a nonprofit and had the first symposium. And I was actually a speaker at the second symposium in Lisbon.
1: Nice.
2: And uh, that, again, changed everything. We had only yeah. about 300 people there, but they were from, you know, a dozen or so different countries. And everybody was just so happy to really meet face to face, all these people that we'd, we'd known online. And we kind of knew them better than if we'd just met at a bar or something oh, yeah. because, mm-hmm. you know, you're seeing their work and you're kind of watching their journey. And I got so turned on by that whole experience that I came back and tried to form Urban Sketchers Fort Worth. And I couldn't yep. fi- you had to have three, three founders, and I couldn't find two other people who were interested because oh, wow. they, they hadn't drunk the Kool-Aid. They, they had no idea <laughs> what I was talking about. It, it sounded like work, right? Uh, i, yeah, I well, called my yeah. architect friends and they'd say, no, no, I'm not going to do that.
1: Uh, <laughs> so I started calling
2: people in Dallas. I yeah. couldn't find two other people. So I called Gabby and I said, that's "Gabby, crazy. I've got somebody that's interested in Houston, and I've got somebody that's interested in Lubbock, and we're going to plant a flag on the whole damn state. What do you think <laughs> of that?" <laughs> he says, "Go for it, man! You know we've got Urban Sketchers Brazil, we've got Urban Sketchers nice. Portugal. Just just go for it." So so that's how that started and uh, started slow, built up over time. And one of the last things I did before we left Texas was. We split that chapter up into five individual city chapters, Mm -hmm. and I think three of them are just going bananas and, you Mm -hmm. know, one's coming along and one I don't hear from. So that's that's not bad odds. The Dallas-Fort Worth group is just bonkers. Every time I see them having a, a function, I'm just really, really happy for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And you were mentioning Lisbon as well. When I was in Lisbon, I went to a bookstore and they had an Urban Sketchers book. That yeah. were, it was it was amazing that their chapter had created right. So well, yeah.
2: you know what's what's fascinating about that is that some countries and cultures have much more of a tradition mm-hmm. of drawing on location. Uh, and in in Portugal, when we were there, I learned that you know everybody carries a sketchbook. It's not just artists and designers and whatnot. It's just really? something that a lot of people do. Yeah, that's great. And, it it really is. And even architects there are still required to do figure drawing like they were in the eighteen hundreds.
1: Oh, that's cool.
2: In this country, because it's kind of considered the root of everything. So you get these these architects that that still have a real kind of humanist feeling for everything,
1: mm-hmm. a real
2: empathy for for proportions and how things work and whatnot. So uh uh, I it's been very interesting to travel and see how different countries interpret that type of thing. And I I think we're still the most Puritan that I've come across. You won't find a figure drawing class in, a, in an architecture school here.
0: <laughs> well, so you mentioned that you'd been to 45 different countries. I'm curious, do you have a favorite?
2: Everybody asks that. And the 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 honest answer used to be it was the last place that I was in. Because I don't go someplace halfway. I I am all in. And Mm -hmm. I study before I go, uh, try to learn enough to say, yes, no, thank you. And especially, excuse me, because you're always (laughs) messing up, you know, and, and they seem to appreciate that. Uh, so whether it was Vietnam or Kenya or whatever it was, I just completely fall in love with the place and yeah. leave a little bit of myself there and take some of them nice. with me. But in recent years, I have spent so much time in Tuscany. And boy, what a cliche if there ever was one. But, <laughs> yeah, um, but
1: things are cliches because they're true. <laughs> bingo! It's so beautiful.
2: Absolutely.
1: Tuscany is amazing. Yeah, I was there in
0: 2019, and yeah. um, and I actually did some sketching out at the uh, villa that we were at, just of the landscape. It was just beautiful. Wonderful.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, we have been working for a few years with uh, a young couple there that are travel entrepreneurs, as well as some other things. She's an executive chef.
1: Where in Tuscany is this?
2: This is outside Luca. Okay. Which is uh, pretty, pretty close to the the shore. And they have a f- three hundred year old villa up in the hills above town, where they can Hard house things. up to about yeah. <laughs> oh, it's work. <laughs> Do you remember the early scenes of Under the Tuscan Sun? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. Oh, it's like that. <laughs> it, it's it's
2: they're constantly working on this place, but right but at the same time, it's a dream. And Carolina's cooking is just just off the charts. So. You've got that immersion in the culture from a food standpoint, from a landscape, from the old architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we yeah. go into Luca and see a Puccini opera concert, you know, while we're there, as well as the drawing. And the mm-hmm. drawing, I don't try to get people to do great drawings or to draw like me or anything like mm-hmm. that. It's more learning to use it as a tool for discovery. Mm-hmm that, you know, we, as as you were saying earlier, Laura, we look at places more deeply. We, we, we concentrate on them more. We learn more about them that way. And you're imprinting that visual image on your mind as you're doing it, uh, much more Mm -hmm. so than you can walking by with a, a cell phone.
1: Right. Snap a picture, right. Doing
2: a quick one and, and moving on. So, uh, We've spent so much time there. We started working with them in 2017, and I've done a couple of workshops a year with them. And, of course, during COVID, all that was, was postponed and postponed again. Uh, we're ha- hoping to get back there in uh, May of this year and again mm-hmm. in October. So we've all got our fingers crossed that everything works out.
1: And when you say we?
2: There's a the couple that hosts us. They call themselves uh, Follow Tuscany. And my wife Patty. Okay. Patty is a retired electrical engineer, and she was a senior executive in an energy company. So the type of logistics for international travel and putting together groups and that type of thing. Right that up just, her alley. Just makes me want to throw up. You know, <laughs> I get I get so anxious and so nervous over all that stuff. It's just child's play with her. Nice. You know, it's, Perfect. it's like a cat batting a mouse around.
1: It's nice when you have that really complimentary dynamic.
2: Well, it really is. And the other thing that, that people write and tell us is that, gosh, this is going to sound aggrandizing, I suppose. But we've, we've truly had people write and say, you know, I learned about drawing and I learned about places, but I learned a little bit about relationships as well. Oh wow! Uh, just by watching how you two work together and how much joy is there, and uh,
1: that's amazing.
2: Yeah, how, how how you make the the people feel in terms of being welcome and mm-hmm. you know just come along and we're going to have this great adventure. So um, if if she wasn't able to do it, I'm out of here.
1: Wow. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So can we go back to your story a little bit? Sure. I'd like to hear how that transition was from the urban planning. You discovered urban sketching, got involved with that. And how did you make that transition to where now you're all in?
2: I started out in corporate world and I ended up founding my own urban design consultancy Mm -hmm. so that I could really focus on envisioning and then drawing those visions and writing about them. And my partner was a, an architect and planner, and he would write all the codes and things like that. We'd collaborate on the creative stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he'd write it into law. So you had to to like our ideas, you know, or or, or go to the next town. And um that I was I was the only one of the, the two of us that drew. So that put me in a position of drawing all the time, drawing, having to draw really fast because I didn't have any staff, you know. Right. Um and coming up with a bunch of shortcuts, not only for drawing, but for looking at places. And you look at, at hundreds of towns and cities and, you know, you start to see patterns of things that work and things that don't work. And, you know, whether this is a, a town of half a million or it's a town of 10,000. You know, there, there's an arrival experience, and there's what I call the stranger's path, where most of the visitors come through and form their first identity of of the place. What is this place about? And uh, you know, you you pass through all the the third places, the the public, the coffee shops, and you know, urban parks mm-hmm. and places like that. And then there's always a sacred heart. That is what the community identifies with, you know, in, in North Texas, it's the courthouse square mm-hmm. and in Italy, it's the piazza, you mm-hmm. know, but but the stranger's path always leads to that. And so you can come in and, and and look at places and say, oh, yeah, here's here's this. Here's this. I see how that's working. And here are the influences on that. Um, let's draw it up and help people see this sometimes locals are too close to it right. to really you know and i i don't mean for this to sound uh you know like i'm trying to, to educate people or anything but um but please
1: educate us yeah it's
2: <laughs> sometimes outside objective eyes can be yes really uh helpful in a situation yes. like that and and i i had somebody write me and say you made me see my own town differently yeah. And that's, you know, really something when you could pull that off. So I spent years doing that. And uh, a big part of that, as you said in the, in the intro, was travel. Uh, I mentioned the professors that said we had to get out of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. When a bunch of us that traveled with them as undergrads got to be in our mid-40s, we, we were talking and saying, God, wasn't that just the greatest thing? Wouldn't it be amazing? If we could relive that and, and the professor who was then in his 60s or early 70s, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Let's let's do it. And <laughs> he put together a grand tour that we then repeated in different parts of the world every two years.
1: Oh, cool. For wow.
2: going on 20 years now. And uh, that I, I mean, that racks up 45 countries pretty quickly. Yeah, I bet. It also had to do with the internet coming along and, and, and yeah. especially social media when it did. Urban sketchers wouldn't exist without right. social media. Yeah, that's true. And when I was traveling, posting all that stuff online, uh, it, I was already there. I was already urban mm-hmm. sketching and part of the community just didn't know that a tribe existed. Right. So, it, yeah, it was just a very natural transition.
1: Well, I love that. and. You may have noticed in our intro, um, I jokingly mentioned a bus. Yeah. And uh, I'm in the process of converting a school bus to live and travel in.
2: Oh, man, that's so cool. A school
1: bus. A school bus. Yeah. A schoolie is what they call it. I love it. So I'm super excited about getting back into sketching places I go. So I haven't done the, the official urban sketching thing, but I'm thinking it's going to really fit in with the new lifestyle.
2: Well, it's interesting. You know, there's a a very uh, kind of one of the fathers of reportage art or, or illustration was a guy named Frank McMahon.
1: Okay. And
2: Frank was the guy that when I was growing up, you'd get your life magazine or your look or your sports illustrated or something and every uh, maybe twice a year. There'd be a story that was all hand drawn in excruciating detail. And, you know, he covered the uh, Medgar Evers trial that way and Mm -hmm. the civil rights movement and Apollo 11 and all these things that that ended up uh, kind of being how America saw those events in a lot of ways and, and, and helping to define them in that way as well. But there's a great photograph of him on location it's a vw van
1: oh yeah the camper van with
2: the doors open and he's got a drawing table in there and he's looking out and drawing whatever he's drawing now his son told me that was a setup this kind of joke (laughs) right right it doesn't have to be
1: yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) true true (laughs) well that's that's kind of my plan for sure
2: um i'm excited for you
1: thanks Thanks. I'm also excited about drawing on the bus, on the outside of the bus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's going to be really cool. Yeah, that's going to be super fun.
2: I think so, too. And when you get down to uh, South Florida, check us out and we'll uh, go around and do some drawing.
1: Uh, You can count on it because I'm never spending a winter in this snow again. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually from South Florida myself. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh, cool. Where?
1: Yeah. Uh, the the opposite coast from where you are, I believe. Um, I was born in Miami and grew up in North Palm Beach and nice. near, near Fort Lauderdale. Fantastic. But now I live in Paducah, Kentucky, and I'm going to invite you to come sketch in Paducah. You should check it out. It's a great little historic river town.
2: I've heard of it. And, and river towns are my favorites. You know, we we stayed at a B&B in Hannibal a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. That was just amazing. Well,
1: you have an yeah. open invitation to Paducah.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We, we actually do that sometimes. And it's usually in concert with a gig someplace where mm-hmm. we're doing a workshop or a university yeah. lecture or something. And Patty will put together, you know, or, or she'll, she'll have the concept.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And, you know, we're going to Arizona State. We're going to fly in. We're going to do this. And she says, oh, no. We're going to do a Route 66 road trip. Oh yeah! From Oklahoma across Texas and New Mexico to Arizona, and we're going nice. to do it that way. Nice. Uh, and all the little towns that you hit along the way. We did the same thing up in, uh, oh gosh, Washington State and into the big national parks out that way. And again um, in Utah when we had a gig at, at University. of cool. Utah. And saw all the national parks and drew those. So, yeah. Well, uh, we
1: have um we have an art school and a great workshop space, so I I've got gears turning. <laughs>
2: <laughs> let's talk.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. But let's get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you talked
0: about all of the international travel, and right. actually, if we go back a little bit, you know, you. You were doing your career. You started getting into the urban sketching, and then at some point, you kind of went all in. And I know, I know you have a book. I know that mm-hmm. you teach now. I know that you've taught at the symposiums. Like, at what stage did you go? Wow, this is something I can basically do for a living. You know, yeah, it's sort of like the dream, right? Travel the world and sketch <laughs> and show others the way.
2: Well, well, it is, it is. But I, I this is going to sound kind of strange too. I got a lot of strange sounding things. We're good um, with strange <laughs> Yeah I didn't really choose it. Uh, there okay. have been two or three one eighties in my career that I really didn't feel like it was a choice on my part. I felt mm-hmm. like the universe was grabbing me by the collar and saying, "No, we're going to go this way now." okay and sometimes it took something pretty traumatic, you know for for me to accept that, but then... All these worlds opened up and that's how I was able to leave corporate world and kind of find my own creative voice and use that in the design world. And, and then again, th- there is this phenomenon going on where all the, the art and design schools or especially the design schools were doing all the work on computer, dropped the drawing classes, basically. And mm-hmm. I started getting calls from firms and from universities saying, we kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater. Can you help us figure out how this digital world and, and what we used to do mm-hmm. work together? Okay. And so we started doing a lot of college gigs. And oh, that's cool. I, I accepted one of them. It was kind of funny for free. The guy calls me up and says, we were going to invite so-and-so. And he wanted $3,000, and my professor said, call Richards, he'll do it for free. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, there's this awkward silence for a second, and then (laughs) I thought, okay, I'll I'll, I'll do this. And what came out of that was one of the faculty members ended up spending eight hours in there watching what we were doing, and he comes up to me afterwards, and he says, surely you're putting a book together on this. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you
1: said, of course I am.
2: Uh, no, I said, I don't have the first idea. I've always wanted yeah. to do that. He says, well, I've got an idea. Come to my office tomorrow. And he had published a lot of books yep. and introduced me to the publisher. So, so these things started falling into place that made it really impossible for me to continue consulting. Right. But, and so then you've got to make a choice. A- am I going to mm-hmm. you know, keep working in the public sector or am I going to follow this and just see where it goes? and where it went was the book and magazine articles and then craftsy calls and you do this first mm-hmm. kind of you know big production.
0: I actually took that class, the energy of spaces one. You might have more than one on there, but I took that e- class.
2: You're the one.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I thought it was a fabulous class because you you even showed people how to um, draw people in a very basic way and using the horizon and everything. And I thought, oh, I I never knew how to do that before. So I think
2: you're a fabulous teacher. But
0: yes, I I was the one person on Crassi that took your class. Thank you very
2: much. (laughs) Actually, that's got about 6,500 students. So it did pretty well. uh,
1: One, 6,500, whatever.
2: (laughs) Uh, what, what's funny about the people thing is that it's, it's a, it's a pretty good icebreaker to get people started. Yeah. Because you're not investing a lot of time. It's a very easy little thing to do. And I've actually had people get back in touch and say, you know, after I I did that lesson, I was at dinner with my wife and some friends and I just started doodling on the tablecloth doing what you showed me. And everybody was like, Oh my gosh, you're, you're amazing. This is this is the coolest thing ever. So he says. So you saved my marriage, basically, because of your little tricks that I can draw on the uh, on the table on The cloth. tablecloth.
1: Nice, yeah. <laughs> nice. Maybe that'll get me some dates. Heck yeah.
0: <laughs> so Craftsy called. You did that class. Then what was next for you?
2: Well, that really, you know, there there was. Early on, half a dozen of us or so that were were doing workshops at urban sketches symposiums or whatnot, the Craftsy called. And that really opened up all kinds of other doors, because mm-hmm. once you had that class out and online, you kind of entered this rarefied era of just a few people who were doing it at that time. Right. And so more universities called. Arts groups started calling uh it was interesting. I got asked to come and do something at the Southwest Watercolor Society in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm not a watercolorist. And they said, no, 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 we, we've got that. We want to yeah. do what you're doing. Yep. Uh, and travel companies were doing the same thing. So uh, it just got to the point where I was able to commit to those things uh, mm-hmm. full time and eventually phase out. The uh, the professional consulting stuff, and I'll still take on something for a past client if it's something that that means a lot to them and means a lot to me, but it's very very rare. I did one last January for uh, for an old client slash best friend back in Texas. That uh, yeah, it's amazing how quickly you can get pulled back into all the excitement of that city building. But yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how it worked. Did that answer your question?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, that's how you transitioned into it. And it Mm -hmm. sounds like it was a snowball effect. You know, you started with one thing and then you followed. Okay, I'm doing this lecture. Oh, I'll do the book. Craftsy called. And then, you know, on from there, it was all these opportunities. And you were saying yes and getting exposure. And, um, you know, eventually I assume you weren't doing them for free anymore. (laughs)
2: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) That's another advantage that I had coming into it as a designer uh, was I learned contracts and I learned how to work with clients and I Mm -hmm. learned about liability and all kinds of things. And one of the things I learned is that you don't do things for free. People will take advantage of you if you do that. Right. But then when I started thinking more like an, an urban sketcher, an artist, it was like, you know. God's work doesn't always pay real well. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. you, you do some things that that lead to other things. And um, that's that's certainly how it happened with with me. But I, I talked about transitioning into finding my own voice. This was really transitioning into helping other people find their voice. Yeah. And that became kind of the mission for you know the last 10, 12 years or so.
0: Well, I know that you have the the courses on Craftsy. But you now have courses on Skillshare. I do. Is that right? I do. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about the offerings that you have there?
2: I I will. Um, Skillshare is is a a great fit for me because it's complete creative freedom, mm-hmm. and I can teach like I want to teach, and I can I can put lessons together like I want to. So. I was able to actually build a whole series of shorter classes where people could learn, you know, starting out. Here's how to add people to an urban environment. And I promise you, you can learn this in 10 minutes. So let's go. And uh, that that was the first one that I did. Uh, Now, the class in 10 minutes, but you can learn the trick and impress people at dinner that quickly. Uh, the next one had to do with, uh, I called it, I think a great sketch in five steps. And it was typically how I will structure something. Uh, I did one on more urban street type scenes and, uh, working on one now that's called travel sketching essentials, capturing Mm -hmm. the light. And it goes back to that discussion about light we were having.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. I I remember seeing in Fort Worth, actually at the Kimball, there was a Monet exhibit that was towards the end of his life and they showed all the different phases of light and it would be the same. It would be like the the same image, the same haystacks, <laughs> you know, that he was doing from his his garden. And but mm-hmm. seeing the, the light change was just yeah. so fascinating.
2: Yeah.
1: So I want to change the subject just a little bit. And I want to talk about supplies. Mm hmm. I haven't done this kind of sketching in a really long time, and when I did, I pretty much just used pencil mm-hmm. um, but I want to get back into it when I'm on my bus. so talk yeah. to me about about getting started, what are the basics that you need, and maybe you know some favorite specific supplies
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely um first of all, pencils are great way to start mm-hmm. and some you know there are people obviously that that are just maestros with pencils they can do incredible things that's this kind of their medium of choice or, or one of a few of choice uh in my case i like to use ink and that started when i did a three-week tour of southeast asia mm-hmm. did it all in pencil and when i got back it was all smeared all over the pages oh,
1: yeah yeah and
2: i said I, I, I had to adopt a drawing style that I've got now that is, uh, you know, let's put the line down in ink Yeah, and you can't erase. you got to commit to it. But oops, it's in the wrong place. Let's do it again. And if it doesn't, let's do it again. Let's just yeah. restate and kind of uh-huh. keep moving with this thing. And it resulted in much more organic drawings than if I was worried about erasing and getting everything, you know, just just so-so.
1: Well, yeah. And specifically for my style, when I draw in pencil or ink, I'm not fast. I'm meticulous and mm-hmm. I'm always trying to loosen up and be more sketchy. So yeah. I think you work with fountain pens quite a lot. I do. I do. Which maybe leads to that a bit more.
2: It does, but I, I'd like to have typically two types of pens with me all the time. Okay. And one is a real fine line. Uh, mm-hmm. And something that I have found that works really, really well for me actually is this Uniball I Micro Pen, which is a cheap little pen that you can buy by the dozen. But uh-huh. it was it was given to me as a gift by my host in Vietnam. And I thought, geez, you give me this cheap pen for it. <laughs> and then I used it.
0: And it changed your life.
2: It's waterproof. It just glides, you know, it's so much fun to use. Nice. So I'll use those. I'll also use the Pitt Artist Pens by Favorite Mm -hmm. Castell. And when Uh I'm using those, I'm using them because I love that sepia ink in it. Okay. Uh, Especially in Italy. Boy. Oh, yeah.
0: Italy
1: and sepia are, yeah, go hand in hand.
2: All of a sudden you're Da Vinci, right? You know, (laughs) (laughs) you're out there just, just going to town.
1: Another awesome lefty. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So those are the fine line things that I use, but then I like to have a Fude nib fountain pen as well. And sometimes I'll draw with it alone. But the idea with those, you know, is that they've got a bent nib, like a calligraphy pen. Okay. So depending on the angle you hold it and move it, you can get... Hair thin lines or you can get really fat, bold lines, just like calligraphy strokes. Oh, nice. So I'll use that to to really bolden things up and to add darks and mm-hmm. a lot of times to do the foreground Yeah, uh, so that it appears closer, you know, than, right. than uh, if I was doing it all in one line weight. So I like to have those two things. I like to use watercolor on top of those. So, uh-huh. you know, the, obviously the, the fine liners and the fountain pens are all using waterproof ink. Yeah. Um, that's not always real easy. It takes a lot of experimentation sometimes to uh, to, to find a really good one. Mm-hmm. But I use the Atramentus archive ink. So there you go.
0: That's the one that I use. And yeah. also the, car- the platinum carbon ink. I like that one.
2: I've used that one as well.
0: Yeah. Um- I like their I like their fine liner uh, pen that they have. They have one that's like extra fine or something.
2: I've never done that. I need I need to try that.
0: Um, it's the 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 platinum carbon ink uh, fountain pen, mm-hmm. and they're cheap. They're like I don't know what they are twelve fifteen dollars, but they're awesome.
2: Yeah, I've got a metal travel palette for watercolors, uh-huh. and it holds sixteen full pans. And I use oh wow four of them about eighty percent of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, four of the pans. Yeah.
2: Yeah, four of the pans out of six.
0: Okay, so what are your top colors? I'm curious.
2: My top colors are (laughs) Naples yellow.
0: That's a gorgeous color.
2: It is a gorgeous color, and
0: there's an Italy theme today. If if people haven't noticed,
2: (laughs) well, what are you going to do? You know, (laughs) but I actually discovered Naples yellow here in this country because I've drawn a lot of architecture, Mm -hmm. and. It makes a fantastic base over what I call everything hard, the, the building facades, the, the pavements, yeah. That unless you're going to keep them as white space for two reasons. One, it's, it's wonderful on its own, but then to, to add colors to it and let them mix and everything. And if, mm-hmm. if you need to go more reddish for masonry, it's real easy to do that. But the fact that you've got that as a beginning kind of holds everything together. From a color standpoint.
1: Nice secret.
2: Not only that, here's the other secret. People write and they say, I don't understand why, but your drawings just they make me happy. Yeah. I said, Well, that's a shameless trick. You know, if you you put this undercoat of maple yellow or whatever on all this stuff, it's a transparent medium. So that yellow is always going to kind of shine through. Ah, does that sound hokey? You know, but it's true.
1: And it's just a happy color. It is a happy color. I love that. It's
2: like sunlight. It's it's a color of life. Yeah, you you're know?
0: warming everything up.
2: In in the same way, kind of that turquoise is with the Mediterranean or something mm-hmm. like that. So, um, I use a lot of Naples yellow. I okay. use uh, the red. I use is Mayan orange, okay. and I use a lot of that. These are Daniel Smith colors uh-huh uh I use a Prussian blue and a uh alizarin crimson,
1: yes, mm-hmm.
2: mostly to mix together for shadows and right. you can uh, make nice. warmer shadows with more alizarin or cooler shadows with more Prussian
1: but really with those four colors you can you can make everything
2: pretty much pretty yeah. much there there's a couple of uh you know cards up my sleeve that I like to have there there's uh and uh an olive green that I was just learned about in a workshop a couple of weeks ago that is just really really dark you know it's mm-hmm. like New Orleans live oak dark and who mm. uh, makes it, it? With, that's a Daniel Smith color as well okay and I don't have the name right on the top of my head but uh you know Look! Look for those really, really almost black olives, and then add mm-hmm. things to them. Yeah, and uh, that that's worked really well for me. Nice. I use a set of uh, Da Vinci travel brushes. Okay. Number eleven, number seven, and number four.
0: And they're pocket brushes that have the metal the the handle that comes apart and puts you goes over the brush top.
2: Yeah, these are a little different in that it's a really really hard plastic, and it screws in. Mm-hmm. And what happened to me with those metal ones, I had a, a a set of those for for years. If I left the brush too wet, the wood would absorb it and break the metal. Mm. And it would never completely come off, but it'd always kind of rattle on there. And, right. you know, ain't nobody got time for that. So no, Nobody wants <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> no. So I've, I've got my little James Bond da Vinci brushes in a nice little letter case just three of them and nice that's about it
0: okay what about your journal
2: oh the sketchbook
0: what watercolor journal are you working in the sketchbook you're working in
2: it kind of depends on what the subject matter is but if i had to pick one lately um i've really enjoyed these etcher perfect sketchbooks
1: Mm -hmm. i've been looking at those
2: Yeah, I used to use the Moleskine watercolor albums uh, Mm -hmm. like forever. And I've got probably 75 of those up on the shelf back there that I filled up um, because I was doing ink and wash and the smooth paper took the ink very well. Mm -hmm. I didn't have one of those with me one time. And so I had this Etcher one and I took it with me. And not only did the ink work just fine on the rougher paper, but you start to drag a brush of watercolor across that. And my goodness, the magic effects that I'd always seen on these fine art watercolors magically appear because you've got the right brush and you've got ah, the right paper. Nice. So that's that's what I'm using these days.
1: All right. All right. Good to know.
0: And then what size do you recommend for a beginner who wants to start out in urban sketching? What size um, sketchbook or journal would you recommend?
2: People have are comfortable with with very, very different things, and I always say choose the thing you'll use because obviously you know you'll use it, but I would mm-hmm. say go no f- uh smaller than eight by ten um and hmm. it doesn't really matter if it's portrait or or landscape that's really driven more by uh by the subject matter that you're going to be doing mm-hmm. and, and your style of drawing, but over time. I migrated up to, you know, kind of a ledger size, an A4, and that's what I use in the Moleskine and in the Etcher because it allows me to either put 10 smaller sketches on a Mm -hmm. page or to do these big double page panoramas uh, of a landscape.
0: I haven't been as brave as you and gone that big. I've done smaller ones, Yeah. so I yeah. might have to try out a larger one now. And then, what you have these travel brushes, but you need water. So, what do you do when you are an urban sketcher and you need water for your watercolor paints?
2: Yeah, I I haven't found a perfect solution to that yet. I see people use little bitty things. I'm I'm, I'm showing you this, like you can you can see them. Um, <laughs> I've seen people use these little bitty things, but but you know your water tends to get muddy and whatnot. Um, right. I always carry a water bottle and use my water bottle to fill up my little collapsible cup. And I've got a yeah. collapsible cup. Uh, it's a relatively new one that Faber Castell just put out. And I it's, love those. I have two of isn't them. Isn't that cool? It's kind of rubbery, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it, it collapses, collapses down. down.
0: And your brush will sit on top without rolling off. That's right. Because it's got little ridges. So oh. that's
2: the weapon of choice. Do you ever use water brushes? That's all I used exclusively for years, and mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. just fine with them and if I use those now, it's usually if I'm using a prepackaged set of watercolors where you've got the cakes in there uh-huh and i'm I'm just kind of doing uh a really, really fast sketching right. and, and adding adding um color washes to it. There are people like Mike Dakubara, you know who uh wrote sketch now, think later. That mm-hmm. uses water brushes exclusively because his whole thing is working really, really fast and mm-hmm. a minimum of tools and and just get out there and do it. And he does beautiful stuff with water brushes. So it's, again, kind of what you're you're personally comfortable with.
0: Yeah. And what I like about urban sketching is it doesn't take a lot of money to get started. Right. You know, yeah. a lot of people get nervous about starting something new and it's going to be really expensive. And with urban sketching, that's really not the case. Now, what do you do, though, if you're on location and it starts raining?
1: you just paint wet on wet Laura
2: (laughs) for one thing I've got a couple of you know I'm usually wearing a wide brim hat when I'm out sketching and if I don't want to lose the spot I'm in that that Stetson will protect me just fine
0: yeah Um,
2: (laughs) otherwise I and we did this a lot when we were sketching in, in Dallas Fort Worth we just moved the group over to the nearest kind of overhang Right. Especially if it had a table and wait service and you could get a cocktail. Yeah. And <laughs> that's what we did during the rain.
1: All right. That's my kind of sketching, sketching with bourbon. There you go. <laughs> And I
0: I love that um, during one of these urban sketching events, when people go sketch whatever they want, you could all be in a similar location, but scattered around and everybody will notice something different. And then at the end, you come together and look and see what each person sketched that day. And it really is a, a cool experience.
2: That's exactly right. And, you know, you get a lot of insight into how many different ways that you can interpret something. And also just in terms of drawing styles, whether Mm -hmm. it's really, really minimalist or whether it's, you know, focusing on one thing and being super detailed or or whatever it is. And um, I think with beginners, that's kind of how you begin to build a style is to learn from other folks and emulate and, you know, downright copy. Early in my sketching career, I was copying work from Ronald Searle. Mm -hmm. And Paul Hogarth and some some landscape architects whose work that I was enamored with. Mm -hmm. And uh, as as you have to draw more and more, and in my case, draw faster and faster, that your own contribution to that can't help but emerge. It's like trying to keep weeds out from cracks in the (laughs) concrete. It's going to come through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Your style is going to going to develop as you're doing it, no, no matter what you're doing. Mm hmm. And I I think that's one of the incredible benefits of urban
0: sketching. Now I'm a detail-oriented person. And so when I sketch, I tend to want to put in a lot of details. But mm-hmm. when you're on site, you don't have necessarily the time to do that. Right. And so for me, it was that, you know, helping me get a little bit quicker at sketching, get a little looser. And then also getting more comfortable with other people watching me create because when you're hiding in your studio, nobody has to see what you're doing. Um, but when you're out like in public and people are walking by and talking to you, and oh, what are you up to? Um, you're starting to get a little more comfortable with that, um, which I think is a benefit. So what do you think, Jim, are some of the benefits of urban sketching?
2: Well, one of the biggest ones uh, is what you just mentioned. I don't think you can overstate the uh, how much richer the experience is When you meet some locals and, uh, you know, maybe out of 10 people that come and look over your shoulder, you will find one that wants to offer you a suggestion about, well, do you know what this statue is? Do you know the history of that? Mm
1: -hmm. thing? Mm -hmm.
2: And uh, I I had a soldier with an AR-15, you know, come up and check out what I was doing. And when he decided I was harmless, he gave me a schooling. About where I was <laughs> and the history of the place and all these types of things.
1: And where was that?
2: Um, this was in the Dominican Republic in uh, Santo Domingo, the, the, the capital there. And I was drawing this giant, like 60 foot statue looking out to the sea. Wow. And this guy says, that's the person who ended slavery here. Basically, he oh, was wow. the rebel. That uh you know kind of kind of set the place free, so um you learn a tremendous amount like that, and I've also found that it's a great cultural bridge, you know uh, that transcends language, transcends geography, transcends even political ideologies that that type of thing uh I try to make this real short, but I got busted by Cuban customs
1: oh my gosh. when I was. <laughs>
2: leaving Havana with a whole bunch of cigars i don't no uh, it, it was my paintings it was my paintings and the the gate agent insisted on a tip and apparently my bribe wasn't big enough for him to be happy and you know wow. i ended up in a green interrogation room with a little bare light bulb <laughs> um, and they were yelling at me and they were, you know, just really, really upset. And finally one comes in who speaks English. And I said, look, I, I had this exhibition, uh, this is all my art, blah, 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 blah. And she says, senor, it will go much better for you if you tell me what is in the box. <laughs> I said, it is art. I swear. So they cut it open and uh-huh. started pulling out paintings. The first painting comes out, and the, the person who had been most aggressive says, oh, que bonita. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> it? And they all start pointing to things in the paintings that, that my uncle works at this bar.
1: Oh, wow. You, you
2: know, my mama had a car, like this car that you drew just like that. You know, this is the yeah. Malecon. Do you know about the Malecon? And they ended up pulling them all out and talking about them. And uh, one of the the customs people said, "Not just wait, wait. How do I know that you're not that this is your art? Yeah, that you're not stealing art from my country?" Mm-hmm. And uh, pulled out a sketchbook, <laughs> <laughs> and we started going through the local sketches I had done the last few days, and mm-hmm. we all ended up, you know, hugging and all. It you know, doesn't happen <laughs> much when you're busted in customs. <laughs> And the head customs agent came to me and she says uh, something in Spanish. I had to get it translated. But basically it was the next time you come to my country, come to this office first. Oh, wow. Because I want to see more of your art.
1: Oh,
0: you know, drawing is an international love language. That's right. It really is.
1: It really is.
2: Yeah. So that's that's one of the things that I I love most about it. The thing that I mentioned earlier about a tool for discovery, you know, Patty and I were on the road so much before COVID that we had 13 traveling workshop gigs in one year. And about half those were overseas. And we didn't realize how much we were missing by having all that fun. You know, we we had moved here to Siesta Key and I really didn't know anything about it. And I didn't know anybody. And then when COVID hit, Uh it forced me to really explore this place, and create yeah. a whole series of watercolor sketches of it that that were a revelation to me, and again, a revelation to the people that lived here. You made me see my own place differently, nice you know, kind yeah, of
0: especially because you're used to traveling constantly with your career and then being in a situation where you couldn't, so you have to you have to pivot and do something differently, so you were able to focus on your your new hometown
2: and what a silver lining that was you know, for the, for mm-hmm. the whole COVID thing. Oh, yeah. I bet. Uh, I bet.
1: And I bet you sell a lot of images of your local area in your local area.
2: I do. Um, and it, it's, it's funny. It's almost like it's a service or therapy for people because, you know, they're, they're going back to Canada mm-hmm. or Chicago or, or mm-hmm. wherever. And, and they take these things with them.
1: A Little bit of the beach with them.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or more often, their favorite oyster bar.
1: Ah, uh, even better. <laughs> you know,
2: it's what they want to do. I have a guy from Northern Ireland that bought five. Oh, wow. And framed them all the same so that it was a set in his uh-huh. house. And oh, nice. And he took pictures nice. and showed me all that. Yeah. That's very
1: cool. So do you do commissions?
2: I don't as a rule. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that's a job. Oh, yeah. And I've had jobs.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I totally get that.
2: <laughs> yeah. I totally um, get that. And every now and then I'll, I'll take one. And like if it comes
1: from Roseanne Cash?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Roseanne calls, you know, what are you going to do?
1: We heard about that one. You're going to say yes to Roseanne Cash.
2: Well, I did, but it also just completely freaked me out. You know, I. Well, the
1: pressure.
2: Yeah. I accepted that thing and I told her I'm looking forward to, you know, kind of hearing about your vision for this piece. And she says, I would never presume to tell another artist how to work.
1: Oh, I love her. Most people who commission work don't have that idea.
2: No, they don't. They They say, I
1: came to you because you do this beautiful work. Now, can you do something completely different?
2: Right, <laughs> but uh, long story short, I ended up doing about ten oh, of wow. the paintings that she wanted because you know you're you're overcome by this. Oh gosh, I can't draw a line. I'm a fool. You know she's going to hate this. All this stuff.
1: I'm a complete fraud. Yeah. <laughs> Who told me I could draw?
2: Exactly. Why did I agree to do this? You know. Um, but I finally ended up with with two. That I was mm-hmm. comfortable enough to send her. And I said, please choose one of these as the gift that you're, you commissioned me for. And please keep the other for yourself. It's my gratitude nice. for you involving me.
1: That's a brilliant idea, actually. In this
2: process. And, uh, you know, we got to meet her and her family and all that stuff. It was just great.
1: Very cool. So we're sad because
0: we're, we're coming up on a little over an hour and we've just so enjoyed this conversation. Me too. But we do have a couple more questions for you. Okay. So one of those is what is one piece of advice that you can give to artists and illustrators who are just getting started?
2: I would say... Just go and do it. And if you can't do it in front of people, do it in your backyard or find a a, a quiet park or something where you can. But it really helps to be able to draw in a group. Uh, I, I wrote one time that it's kind of the difference between plunking away at three chords on a guitar in your bedroom or joining a garage band. And (laughs) everybody supports each other and you learn from each other and and, Mm -hmm. and lift each other up. So I would would certainly suggest that. Um, I like to make the distinction that uh, don't aspire to be great, aspire to be prolific.
1: Um, And if you're
2: prolific, being great takes care of itself over time.
1: Oh, that's a great quote. (laughs) Nice.
2: Nice. Nice. Uh, I've got it on a coffee cup. (laughs) But, uh, but, But people focus on trying to do perfect drawings when you should be trying to focus on just doing it every opportunity you get and not worrying about other people seeing it. Yeah.
1: The end result. That's fantastic. Let me ask you, if you were the interviewer, what is a question we should have asked you but didn't?
2: You know, you guys pretty much nailed it. The question that people don't ask is usually, uh, it, you know, what what's what's your secret, you know, b- behind being able to do all this. And then I get to tell the Patty story and <laughs> how she's the fairy godmother, you know, yeah. that, that uses the wand and turns me into uh, something other than a pumpkin for a while.
1: <laughs> Can we clone her?
2: <laughs> it, I get asked that a lot. <laughs> and what, what's really interesting, though, is that there are a couple of urban sketchers in the international organization and kind of in the teaching cadre whose wives, you know, had a career or one kind or another or, or their husbands or whatever it was and watched how we were working and said, I think we could do that. I I think that that we could be a team. And just knock this thing out of the park. You know, uh, an example is Rob Sketcherman from Hong Kong, Uh uh, who's the international guru of iPad sketching.
0: Yes, he's amazing at urban sketching with an iPad.
2: He and his wife are just a marvelous team. But when he first came up to her and said, I'd like for you to watch what Patty's doing. This is really <laughs> interesting. That's not the way to start the conversation.
0: I don't think that went over so well. Yeah. You know,
1: I I live with my uh, my dog, Rocket. Do you think I can train him to do that?
2: You can train him to do some things for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the convenience store.
1: Fetch that paintbrush for me, Rocket. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well,
0: Jim, where can our listeners find you online?
2: I am at jamesrichardsketchbook.com. Mm-hmm. And that website, uh, if you are familiar with it, you're not now. It was completely redone about three months ago. My daughter's a professional photographer and does a lot of that kind of stuff. Nice. And she brought a whole kind of different vibe to it that I just absolutely love. Uh, awesome. I was still kind of stuck in architecture world. Mm-hmm. And she <laughs> blasted it right out of that. So, yeah, check that out. And um, on Instagram, on JR Sketchbook, And that's where you can see the latest and greatest on a consistent basis.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today.
2: My pleasure.
1: This has been fantastic. And mm-hmm. I wish we could talk for a whole nother hour.
2: <laughs> I do too. You guys are great. And I, I really appreciate the, the thought and the background you put into your questions. So,
1: Thanks. To learn more about James and read today's Stardust Society show notes, go to StardustSociety.com slash James Richards.
0: If you've enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star rating and review. Reviews help us reach more Stardusts like you and keep us inspired to create new episodes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.